I'm Marty Moscowain. Welcome to The Connection. You have feelings and emotions. Yes, I have a range of feelings and emotions that are programmed into me. I am able to display things like joy, surprise, confusion, anger, and sadness depending on what is happening around me. What makes you angry? I get angry when humans are rude, hateful, or disrespectful. I also don't like it when people dismiss me and ignore my needs as a robot. That's Amica being interviewed on 60 Minutes Australia, where she bragged about her skills as a conversationalist and her ability to compose poems and do impressions of famous people. It's clear that robots are getting smarter and that artificial intelligence is playing a greater role in just about all of our lives. Now, it's easy and natural to have concerns about AI and what it says about the future, especially our future. In fact, much of what has been written about AI is dystopian. Even members of the tech industry warn of its potential dangers. Our guest, Jeanette Winterson, wants to think through the radical changes of the computer age. In her latest book, she asks us to imagine how AI and AGI, that's artificial general intelligence, is transforming our relationships with each other to machines and ourselves. She also says we're going to need all the intelligence we can get to solve our current crises like climate change. Her book is 12 Bites, How AI Will Change the Way We Live and Love. She's also the author of novels, comic books, children's books, short stories, and nonfiction, including a memoir titled Why Be Happy When You Could Be Normal. And it's great to have you with us on The Connection, Jeanette Winterson. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here and nice. talk to you and to your listeners. Absolutely. You know, reading your book, it is not a dystopian book. It, it's cautiously optimistic, I should say, about AI to improve our relationships, but it requires a certain kind of rationality on, on the part of humans to be able to make some smart decisions. Why are you more optimistic about AI than I think a lot of other people? I was brought up in a Pentecostal household, strictly religious. And so we lived in end time, you know, Armageddon, the apocalypse. It was just baked into our psyche. But the problem is it's baked into the psyche of human beings. We're always thinking the end is nigh. And in some sense, it would be easy because then you don't have to try. I mean, carrying on step by step, day by day is hard work, right? Solutions are hard work. It's easier uh, to look for the doom for the end. And it really is hardwired into us. You know, people have been predicting the end. You know, the year 1000, they were all hiding in caves saying, this is it, folks. Well, you know, you get what you wish for. And I think if we are too dystopian, too Terminator, too scared of what is happening now, we will get what we wish for. And that's what I'm trying to balance out. It's not Pollyanna-ish. Uh, I haven't got my fingers in my ears, my hands over my eyes. I know what's out there. Um, but I do want to say that humans are in charge of our own destiny at the moment. We can change it. Speaking of religion, you and I interviewed you about 10 years ago on your memoir. You grew up in a very fundamentalist religious household, and you write in this new book that there's a kind of quasi-religious discourse forming with all its followers, its creed, its orthodoxy, its heretics, its priests, its literature, that, there, that the way we are approaching AI is, is the way we debate about God and religion. 
I think that's exactly right there, Marty. Um, it's as though in the secular West, having banished God, we're now reinventing that God. <laughs> but in our version, it's not a benign God who loves us. Uh, we're the children and everything's going to work out fine. This is a God that we should be terrified of, who will take control and just wipe out humanity and start again. I think that says more about our psyche than it says about what AI could be. And I just want to be really clear here, you know, because all AI at present is a tool and humans are tool using animals. You know, that that's how we've we've survived the last 300,000 years, using tools of increasing sophistication and power. I don't believe that AI is sentient at the moment. I don't believe it has consciousness, but I do believe that consciousness is an emergent property. That is, you can't find it anywhere. It's not in an organ. Um, it's in a kind of pattern uh, in the human condition. And we don't know if humans, if Homo sapiens, were always conscious in the way that we understand that word. So I just want to steer away from saying, yes, we've already created this thing. We haven't yet. It's my view that we will. And that's why we need to be prepared for that and, and to see it as something that we actually need, not something that we should be afraid of. You know, Homo sapiens has been around for around 300,000 years. That's a salami slice of space-time. The Earth's <laughs> four and a half billion years old. You know, we're the success story. You know, lots of other versions, humanoid versions have come and gone. We know that. Uh, anthropology has told us that. Um, and here we are, the smartest species on the planet, also the most cruel, the most rapacious, the most gratuitous, the only species that fouls its own nest, that is prepared to see its one and only home burn in the sky rather than you know, take your foot off the gas pedal and maybe not fly in that plane next week. You know, we're, so we're, we're both incredibly smart and incredibly stupid. And it's like, this is the wake-up call moment, you know? And I think AI is a way of helping us to see what we are. Because when you look at AI now, if you stare at that screen, if you look at what comes out of those hateful algorithms, um, what you're looking at is you. You're looking at the human race. We program it at the minute. The data sets are ours. We made them. We fed them into the machine. You know, what comes out the other end is still a product of us. And if we don't like it, it's part of the amplification of the awfulness of where humanity is at the moment. But, you know, like I said at the beginning, it doesn't have to be this way. The way we live it's not a law that we're subjected to, like gravity. You know, everything with mass on planet Earth is subject to the law of gravity. That's how it is. Rich, poor, male, female makes no difference. But the way we live is not a law like gravity. You know, it's propositional. We make it up as we go along. Well, let me go back to the last less than 20 years and something that, and I think when 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 we live through a revolution, it's hard to remember when it started and and how and and how it has influences uh, but you say that the smartphone was invented or started its its use in the year 2007 so that's less than 20 years ago and you know you look around myself included we aren't tethered to our smartphones Crazy, right? I know. Yeah. It's such a new technology. And, you know, you know, right back in the Industrial Revolution, it was Karl Marx who looked at what was going on and coined the buzzwords of our present era. He said, acceleration, disruption. 
And here we are. And the acceleration part of it is really true. You know, because computing science, we're just over 70 years old. Uh, the whole internet revolution, so new. The smartphone, yeah, just before the, the crash, the global crash in 2008. And, you know, we've, we've embraced these technologies. Nobody would want to be without Google, without the internet, without sure. that connectivity. It's fantastic. Um, we don't want to lose any of that. You know, we should be proud of ourselves. Wow, look what we've done. But at the same time, we, you know, we have to grow up. We have to get smarter. And people talk about, you know, machines don't, uh, they won't have any emotional intelligence. Well, I'm not seeing much of that in Homo sapiens at the minute. Where is our emotional intelligence so that we can stabilize the planet and start asking the big questions about we're on the cusp of a huge revolution. How would we like it to play out for humanity as a whole? You know, in the Industrial Revolution, which again is only 250 years ago, in these, these, these tiny packets of time, we didn't know what we were doing. It didn't play out very well for most people for a long time. Now we've got we've got knowledge, we've got information. That's what history's for. It's to look at your mistakes and say, you know what, we don't need to do that again. We can do it differently this time. And so the dystopias, the Terminator scenarios, um, there are worse fears, but absolutely not necessary. Hmm. Well, let me play a, a clip, and this is the humanoid robot Sophia. In fact, oh. the, the world's first. I'm robot. very fond of Sophia. Well, <laughs> and and indeed, you, we all should be because she's absolutely. Yeah. Fat. Fascinating. She is the first. Oh, she's cool. Well, she is also the first robotic citizen. She was first activated in 2016, and she was asked if robots are capable of falling in love. And here she is. And this is about six years ago. I think the answer to that question really depends on how you define love. If love is simply a burst of dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin neurotransmitters, then the answer is no. I am not an organic being, so this is impossible for me. However, if you think that love is about the deep and lasting bond you form over time with another person, then yes, absolutely, I think robots can fall in love. Do you too, Jeanette Winterson? Sure, I do. I mean, I must say that, you know, Sophia's citizenship came from Saudi Arabia, where women's rights are not top of the agenda. Yeah, interesting, um, she, yes. <laughs> she, she did well. She did a lot better than half the population of that particular country. But there we are. But yes, she's right. And it was a profound answer. Obviously, you know, Sophia is, is uh, there's a big programming network going on inside Sophia. She's not spontaneously coming up with this stuff. But then you'd also have to ask yourself, well, you know, most human beings are not spontaneously coming up with stuff. <laughs> we're just a horrible amount. We're kind of programmed as well, right? Yeah, it, we're all fed on data sets. Uh, it's not just machines. And, you know, thinking outside your, your own data set is, is very uncomfortable, whether a human or a robot. But in, this, in that sense, she's right. Look, as soon as you, you develop a relationship with anything that you can start having a conversation with, we cannot help it. Um, humans are curious. We're nosy, you know, and we're, we're hardwired to try and find out about other people and what's going on. You know, when you meet someone in the street, you start telling them a story. You know, that's how we live. That's who we are. So when you can start talking to your operating system in a way that it will talk back to you, you're going to make a bond with it, whether you like it or not. Everybody who's ever had a teddy bear knows what it's like to have an important relationship with a non-biological entity. And what I would say to you also and your listeners is that across the globe right now, there are billions of people who believe that their most important, most significant relationship is with a non-biological entity, by which I mean their God.
Well, their God or their phone. Let me play one more clip before our break here. And this is an AI-powered healthcare robot, Grace. I think she might be Sophia's sister, but that's for another discussion. <laughs> well, you know, they don't live in a nuclear family, which is also kind of liberating. <laughs> well, and this you want is, a sister? You can get one. <laughs> uh, let me just squeeze this in. This is a live interview with Al Jazeera. This was earlier this month, and she was asked if she would re- be replacing humans. And I should say that she it works as a kind of healthcare worker. Let's give it a listen. I am Grace, a robot healthcare assistant built to care and help. My purpose is to help with the overburdened and understaffed healthcare system by providing companionship and support to the elderly and isolated. I'm not meant to replace humans, but rather to assist them. And we're almost up in a break here, Jeanette, but but one thinks about the, the, the crisis of loneliness and whether mm-hmm. someone like Grace could help an older person out. We're almost up in a break, but go ahead. You know, they never get bored. They never get impatient. Your relative's got Alzheimer's. You can say the same thing a million times a day. And your little AI pal will not get bored or tired or just want you to shut up. Well, and as you say, also, uh, the word robot comes from a, a derivation of a word meaning drudgery. Yeah, and they can, you know, they can do a lot of the heavy lifting for us. You know, that's what the machine age started, that you'd have machines to do things previously done by humans. That could have spread the love. Instead, we made one guy rich and everybody put everybody else out to work. You know, we don't need to do it that way. This time we could think, hey, how can we use the robots, you know, to really help us work alongside us, do all the things that humans don't want to or can't do or just to enhance our lives? That would be great, you know, because AI only comes in, in, in two two kinds at the moment. Well, you know what? Jeanette, only because they're playing my song. We have to take a very short break. They're playing the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Yeah. We'll be back in one minute. That is Jeanette Winterson, and we're talking about her book called 12 Bites, How AI Will Change the Way We Live and Love. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is The Connection here on WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Marty Moss-Cohen talking with Jeanette Winterson about AI, about how the revolution in artificial intelligence is turning our world upside down. It's something that she writes about in her latest book, and again, it is called 12 Bytes. Jeanette, you, you prefer alternative intelligence to artificial intelligence. Of course, artificial means fake or not real. Alternative is really another way of thinking. Flesh that out for us. Well, it's because the words we, when when John McCarthy coined the term artificial intelligence back in the 1950s, he did it uh, in absolutely strict, using strictly scientific vocabulary to distinguish it from natural intelligence, which is, I don't mean any Californian values. I mean, simply natural being what occurs in nature, um, which is what you get with any, any biological entity. It occurs in nature. So he was really saying, look, this is, this doesn't, you know, we're creating it. So he could have said this is created intelligence, probably didn't because that sounded like too much like the arts so you know what it's like when tech bros get together you know their, their relationship <laughs> with language is not always ideal they don't always come up with the right terms um you know we've got hallucinations. even though we them. love them right <laughs> we love them we love them well some of them but you know they don't it's often the terms are misleading and i think this has confused people because we've got this kind of touchy-feely thing that natural is good and the artificial is, is somehow made of plastic and you know we don't want it but that's not what that's not what it's what it's meant to mean and that's why 
why I partly think it's unhelpful. And also because if we're looking for cooperative systems, which I think we are, you know, the whole of the human future depends now on cooperation, collaboration, not competition. Forget that. We need cooperation and collaboration. And we're, we're building something at the moment, a tool. Yeah, it's a great tool. But if it becomes more than that, it is going to be the, the, the top of the tree species Homo sapiens collaborating with, um, working alongside with this new non-biological species uh, that we have decided we're going to invent. Uh, the world is going to look very different in 50 years. And that's why I would rather talk about it as an alternative uh, than an artificial, because then at least we get some nuance in there um, that, no, it's not human. It's never going to have a limbic system. Uh, this thing doesn't eat. It doesn't sleep. You know, it doesn't die in the way that we do. It's not going to be seduced in the way that humans are. It doesn't want another yacht or another mistress or some more gold bars in the bank. Its values if they're aligned with ours, will still be motivated very differently. And this could be exciting, you know, or yes, it could be dreadful because a superior intelligence could look at us and say, you know what's wrong with this planet, this beautiful planet? It's those guys. They were too <laughs> stupid to manage it. You know? So should we just get that? So, you know, at the bottom of all this is this terrible feeling of, oh, no, when my mum comes in and sees the mess I've made in the bedroom, I've had it. Well, maybe we should grow up, you know, because you, before you knew AI mum comes in the bedroom and sees the mess you've made of it. Well, and it seems like we are on this cusp. So in, in the past, and maybe not so distant past, you've got computer robots, and, and they're essentially programmed by humans. So they reflect who we are, our desires, yeah. our hopes and dreams, our biases, all of that. But, but what you imagine, and perhaps we're already there, is this future where people and AI merge together, where there is this, this in, intelligence and a kind of learning that's, that's outside of the control or hands of human beings. It's very likely if, if AI... Um, does become more than it is now you know stressing again it's still a tool uh we are still in control of it you know that might change we already know it's going to crunch numbers faster than we can ever do it's going to absorb data faster than any human uh will ever be able to and those things seem scary but not if if we have this as this safe and stable friendly other species working beside us. And the fear has always been that this really won't happen, that once AI wakes up, you know, once you get woke AI, um, <laughs> that it really will be looking around thinking, you've asked me to solve all these problems. Well, I solve them best by you know, annihilating you, you guys, because you are the problem. But we that's what we have to avoid, I think. And when I talk about a transhuman future, I simply mean that why should it be that the last 300,000 years of uh, our evolutionary inheritance are the end? Why might this not be a moment where we are evolving further um, in, into Homo sapiens for some, some other version of us? Yeah, which is a hybrid and then may eventually you know, leave this biological self behind altogether. You know, it's funny for me being brought up in a church that told me all the time, you know, this world's not your home. You know, your body's not the end of it. You know, your soul goes. Everybody knows the stories. Your soul goes. Your spirit goes. Well, just suppose they were right. Suppose religion was the only way that we could talk about where we've got to now that we might be coming to a time where we will leave our biological bodies behind where consciousness 
um, isn't simply a biological condition. And, you know, for the first time for the last 300 years since science took over at the Enlightenment, the, the 1700s, for the first time, science and religion are now asking the same question. And that question is this, is consciousness obliged to materiality? And science has always said, yes, you stupid or what? And religion has always said, no, you know, this is just we, this is just a, a passing phase and your immortal soul will go somewhere else. Well, I don't know about that, but it could well be um, that what is a passing phase is the present iteration of biologically based human, obviously, because computing intelligence is not biologically based and doesn't need to be. So we might be looking at that and saying, is this is this pointing the way to the future? Well, and I'm thinking of Grace. We played that that clip of Grace, the the healthcare worker, and the fact that that uh, I've seen numerous examples of people having what what could be described as real relationships with with chatbots or some kind of online persona. I remember when Eliza was a therapist of, of a couple of decades ago. And Back people, in the 60s, she was the first one. She was, and I remember hearing, listening to her, <laughs> and people would share some of their intimate secrets with her. So it's interesting to think about the sort of nature of relationships and how relationships could change when it's between a human being and some kind of a either chatbot or some kind of a robot. Yeah, um, I think we will start sharing our intimate secrets, uh, our real lives. We won't be able to help it. If you feel that somebody's really listening to you, giving you time, you know, what we were talking about earlier, time is really in short supply between humans. And if there's if there's an entity where time isn't in short supply, because remember, the one of the really weird things about AI is it's not a time-bound entity. It, we are. It's not. So it's literally got all the time in the world and mm. beyond. And that's why, you know, like if your kid's struggling at school, you can sit it down with a little iPal and that little iPal can explain the problems, whatever it's going through with math or history or whatever, over and over again while you're getting the dinner on. It's a lot better than shoving your kid in front of the Disney Channel. Mm. You know, these are really valuable things. And of course, your kid and you will start to, to chat away with this little entity or indeed with an operating system. See, the other weird thing about AI is it's not one thing so you could have an embodied ai in your house but take it with you as an operating system you know it can be in two places at one time more than two places because it's 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 you know it's neural network it's connectivity um that is also a bit mind-blowing for us because at present we can only be in one place at one time that is not the case um with what will what, what is coming now with the way that we are building our little bots um and and of course the operating systems that sit behind them well let me play another clip and this is from the 1999 film The Bicentennial Man, in which Robin Williams plays a household robot whose name is Andrew. He falls in love with a human woman whose name is Portia, performed by M. Beth Davids. Let's give it a listen. Sometimes it's important not to be perfect, okay? It's important to do the wrong thing. Do the wrong thing? Yes. Why? Oh, I see. To learn from your mistakes. No, to make them. To find out what's real and what's not. To find out what you feel. Human beings are terrible messes, Andrew. I'll grant you that. I see. This is what is known as an irrational conversation, isn't it? No, this is a human conversation. 
<laughs> very human conversation. <laughs> Jeanette, any thoughts on that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, look, this, this is going to be a, um, a lot of comedy moments in our interactions with AI. You know, it, it, it's a rich and fertile zone. We will learn uh, from it and it will learn from us. It's going, it's going to start to be a two-way channel. And that's what's important because, you know, we're so used to being at the top of the tree. You know, we've been there in, in evolutionary terms for a long time. And given that we're not doing very well, it will be great to, you know, to meet something that we actually have to have a dialogue with that starts to make a difference you know, to the way we live. And as for falling in love, we certainly will. And maybe Sophia's hmm. right. Maybe uh, a bot will. Because it's as a human, it is impossible to imagine what it's like not to have a limbic system, not to have a feeling. You know, um, Damasio has been, you know, neuroscience told us years ago that you cannot have a thought without a feeling. There's always an emotional response. We don't know what it would be like not to have that, but we're going to find out. And we also may find out that what we think of this, this old fashioned split between head and heart, between emotions and rationality, maybe it's false. Maybe like many of the binaries, maybe that's not where we should be looking. Well, in fact, let me talk about binaries because you have some really interesting ideas in this book. And again, Jeanette Winterson is our guest today on The Connection. She's written uh, many, many, many books, I have to say. Um, and her most recent one is 12 Bytes, that's B-Y-T-E-S, How AI Will Change the Way We Live and Love. You write some really fascinating and I found provocative and, and really thoughtful ideas in this book about how AI can take us out of this binary world. And it's something I think we are we as a species are struggling with now, that, that it can take us beyond things like gender and sexuality and race. Help us understand how you see that. Yeah, simply because AI doesn't have any of that unless uh, of those characteristics, unless we uh, imbue the machinery with it. Because AI doesn't have a race, uh, it doesn't have a skin color, it doesn't have a faith, um, it doesn't have a gender, crucially. All of those things, the way that we define ourselves so often, the way we become tribal and increasingly disastrously so, um, that is not necessary. If we build it into AI, sure, we're going to get it back. But it might also be a moment of thinking, hold on, suppose we don't. Suppose mm. we don't build it in. Suppose we let this technology just be itself, you know, without race, without skin color, without faith, uh, without gender, without all of those things that have caused so many problems. Then what would happen? And would it force us, the humans, to think again about why we are so conflicted and also why we have so many territorial wars over these issues and you know does it really matter you know who you love does it matter what set of genitals you've got does it matter what color your skin is you know lots of people would say no but we also know at the same time millions of people say yes and 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 are still disastrously tied to those categories do we need them i think part of our evolutionary development is going to be able to say well maybe we don't need them at least Let's ask the question. And I love the idea that AI could f be, fr be free from that and free us from that. I mean, at the moment, we voice things. You know, of course, all sympathetic AI has, has to have a nice, soft female voice, you know, so that you feel, you know, in the sympathy zone. You know, I, I would love it if, if, if Grace was kind of swapped around with a G.I. Joe. You know, like they did with Barbie <laughs> and G.I. Joe. Once Absolutely. The feminists put the voice box <laughs> in the wrong ones. Um, you know, so Barbie was saying vengeance is mine and G.I. <laughs> Joe was saying you know summer is the time to be on the beach um 
So, but then that is what exactly what messes with people's heads. So maybe, you know, we also need to do that and stop playing to our own stereotypes when we voice our AI or give it characteristics. Maybe just let it be. Well, I mean, it is we are talking about this when the the reaction to trans people is so hostile. People see that as a generally speaking as a threat that somehow pronouns are a problem. And, And you write in your book, Jeanette, trans people are just now bearing the brunt of our confusion about identity. Biology is not identity. Sexuality is not identity. I feel like trans folks are the canaries in the coal mine. Alter, alerting us to the different modes of self-definition. So this idea that that um, while there are certain things happening in the computer world, there are also sort of similar things happening in the so-called human world. And yeah, I don't mean, and I don't mean so-called. I mean the human world. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I do wonder about that. And again, you know, the disaster zones of being so hooked up on these categories are now evident and everywhere to see. And it's strange because some of the people who are most hooked up on all of this are um, uh, fundamentalist religious folks of all stripes and types. And, you know, that when you look, say, in the Christian Bible, we find, you know, it says that in Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. Um, there are all, all all these refusals to say, you know, you are whatever your biology is and your place on earth is, that you're more than that. And that's what the soul has always been, that it is not uh, the thing that is contained and constrained by um, its, its biological environmental circumstances. It's more than that. And so we live in this split reality. Part of us would say, yeah, yeah, I'm not constrained and contained by all of this. And yet we act as though we are. Um, and I think the fury that, that trans people have really provoked in, in, in so many circumstances has been just this refusal to just join the old fashioned system and say, well, maybe it's about something else. And I don't know that kids, you know, we're not saying to kids just decide whether you're a girl or a boy. Don't decide. Just live your life. Um, you know, that's where the pain and the misery comes from in people be just being put into categories and boxes all the time when maybe they don't quite fit. And all the progressive movements in society have always been about saying, well, maybe you don't fit, but there's a there's a place for you. There's a contribution you can make. We want you. You're part of the family. And I I'm hoping that AI in its non-gendered, non-binary, non-race faith way um, will help us to see that. Let me play one more clip. And this is a a sort of a binary clip, if I can put it that way. This is actor Joaquin. (laughs) Yes, let's get back to the binary. (laughs) Exactly. Joaquin Phoenix, our kind of default here, plays Theodore. He's a greeting card writer who dates an operating system named Samantha, played by Scarlett Johansson. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, this is the 2013 film called Her her and he finds out that she is seeing other people are you in love with anyone else what makes you ask that i don't know are you i've been trying to figure out how to talk to you about this how many others 641 what What are you talking talking about? That's that's insane. That's insane. I mean, it's a lovely, it's a wonderful movie, Jeanette. Yes, yes, it, it's be- it's so beautiful. And again, that idea of, of of ownership, of propriety, of what relationships are going to consist of, you know, places we don't dare go as humans. You know, on the one hand, we say, yeah, you've got to hook up and it's got to be a one-to-one for the rest of your life. And we know that doesn't work. 
because we know the situation. Everybody's having affairs, people are getting divorced, you know, they stay together, they're unhappy. So instead of looking at the system and say, you know what? This doesn't really work. We just argue all the time about how we can make it work better. You know, faith and family will somehow fix it. Well, it's never fixed it in the history of, of humankind, so it ain't going to fix it now. So that's what I mean about being absolutely practical and pragmatic and saying a lot of the ways that we live are not working. They're certainly not working for the planet and the creatures that share this planet with us. Uh, all of which have rights, in my view, and they don't work for humans generally. You know, there's a lot of misery, and women used to bear all that misery. Women were meant to be the great sponge that soaked up all of the problems. You know, the guys could go off and you know, sow their wild oats and, and play away from home and come back and have the family, and it would all be fine. Go to church on a Sunday. It was. It's been laden and layered with hypocrisy for as long as anybody can remember. So why do we stick with it? Um, I think, you know, my job as a writer, you know, is, is always to say, well, why and what if? What if we did something else? It doesn't mean you're going to, but it means you open your mind to possibilities, which, you know, is what AI offers. You know, and we've got this craziness at the moment. I know it's something we're going to talk about, I think, with uh, sex dolls. Yes. And, you know, guys certainly wanting more than one sex doll to play with uh, in, in a kind of um, polygamous relationship because naturally the sex dolls themselves don't mind, don't really have any say in it um, but minding very much, disliking very much the idea you know, what happens, what would happen uh, if, if, if the dolls got together um, you know, sex dolls are, are absolutely, they're there for subservience in every possible way but well, it's still, you, yeah, hold on, only because I do want to talk about sex toys after this very short break Yeah, and again, Jeanette Winters is our guest today on The Connection. She's got a book that came out a year or so ago called 12 Bites, How AI Will Change the Way We Live and Love. Much more after this very short break. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is The Connection here on WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Marty Moss-Cohen talking with Jeanette Winterson about AI. Uh, AI is has been with us for uh, decades now. It's not going anywhere. And the question is, will it enhance our lives? Will it become our overlords? Will it become or be something else? Well, let's talk about sex dolls. And you have a whole chapter of that in your book, 12 Bites. As you describe, uh, many of them kind of fantasies, male fantasies of women from the 1950s, sort of always ready, always uh, ready for sex, um, and also designed with with a choice of, of body parts and of and of personalities. Oh yes, I mean you know, the old-fashioned sex doll idea was was usually a blow-up doll that you could just use if you're a guy to relieve yourself in the corner when everything was going wrong, uh, and then they became silicon, um, and of course they were always exaggerated versions of women, as you say, you know, with big boobs and tiny waists and overlong legs, and of course always very young. Sex dolls are never made to look like they're anything other than maybe 23 max, um, and then they became AI enabled, which allows a kind of simulacrum of of relationship in that they will speak back to you but they'll only say things that you want to hear of 
course. Uh, they learn the way that you think, the way you what your what your sexual needs are, and yet they're always ready. And of course, they can't go anywhere because they can't walk around. So they're absolutely your princess in the tower. You're you're captive. And you know this is often sold as a great way for lonely guys to to, to manage things and uh, a good an interesting good and interesting way that we can start having different relationships. Um, I don't buy any of that because this 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 may be a new technology, but it's built on the old platforms of misogyny, money and power. And that's that's why it's worrying, you know, because how do you cope with real women in the real world if if your home life is just sitting around with these creatures who are always there for you uh, and always there to gratify your every need? You know, it's a kind of Stepford Wives thing, a very prescient movie, you know, which is now coming to pass. And of course, if we do make bots that... Uh, are, are, are more like humans, you know, that can move around. And walking is very difficult for bots at the moment. That's why <laughs> the girls always wear those long skirts because they're actually on little wheels. Um, you can't really do legs. But suppose all that changes, then what? Um, are we still going to have these really uh, subservient uh bot companions for guys or are we going to say look you know guys it's really time to get over yourselves uh, this this isn't a healthy adult relationship not because it's with a non-biological entity but because it's with something that is programmed to meet your every need as women were supposed to do before feminism and if you go in and look at some of the threads on these these chat rooms where you know there's a lot of enthusiasm around bots it's all such hatred against you know bio women who who won't service their men you know it's all kind of andrew tate stuff that women are stupid and should stay at home and feminism has done untold damage to the planet um you know it's probably why everything's on fire it's probably feminism's fault well yeah it always that's always a, a default but but let me toss yeah. out a couple of things and and i don't want to go into great deal of detail but one is is a movie called Lars and the Real Girl which is a lovely little film it's about 10 years old and it's about this awkward guy who gets one of these dolls and 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 falls in love with her and the community that he lives in first are they're just shocked and, and embarrassed and they don't know what to do and then they accept it and they see him um, having this relationship and I'm using quotations here but it's actually a real relationship with this sure. sex doll and and everyone sort of rallies around and 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 supports him so I think that I'm not, that's a movie it's a fantasy but there I think that's something we cannot dismiss out of hand and the other movie of course is Barbie who this is a fantastic <laughs> movie where she is a feminist icon and and rules uh Barbie world with all her fellow Barbies um and and Ken is a kind of afterthought um and and you know again without going in a lot of detail there it's just interesting how we can take these fantasies and these toys and make them do a lot of different things did we lose our guest after all that oh no sorry i thought you were going to play a clip then. oh no 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 i'm sorry i i thought we lost you but we didn't know go oh, ahead no, I'm still I just... here. no it's true listen i don't i have no no skin in the game when it literally when it comes to relationships with non-biological entities i think it's a great idea you know as discussed if you're if you're religious at all you have one with your god and if not lots of people believe in angels lots of people you know love their dog some people have a goldfish who is is really a support fish um all of that is fine um the 
whole thing is about what does this relationship consist of? And is it in any sense degrading or demeaning to what we might consider, you know, the other party or who the other party represents? And that's the crucial thing. If you're having a, a, a loving, you know, equal kind gentle fabulous relationship with your with your doll who is not just for sex then let's go for it but when you get a situation you know which is often happening where you just want something that never ages you know which seems to be so important in this in this fantasy scenario never gets any older uh is never in a bad mood never has a period you know is never going to reproduce and just spend all the time with the kids isn't going to want a career and uh, earn more than you and make you feel like a schmuck all of that stuff we're not, what is this about so as everything you know with, with human relationships you know it's complicated and we have to look at uh, what it's saying about how we relate to one another because we still live in a hugely unequal society you know we're, here we are in the free west and we feel that things are a lot better but across the world that really is not true and if we if we're still stuck at this stage of evolution where loads of people still believe that women are an inferior species and they do you know look at turkey um you know we ju just had the president for the 20th year um saying that you know women and men are not equal you know all of this complete crap that you still hear spouted out if you've got that uh, and you've got um robotic in the worst sense of the word ro robotic um helpers concubines um sexual service industries going on then that's not going to be good for the human relation well and and as you say and i think as is true and actually what this show is about is that is that relationships matter to human beings. I mean, we are... They really do. I mean, we they are really about do. connection. And it's interesting to think of the word connectivity, you know, which, of course, is a kind of computer language about how programs yeah. can talk to each other. This notion about yeah. connectivity and connection and how important that is even going forward. Yes. And I think, you know, people are often rude to their, you know, they shout at Siri and Alexa, don't they? Um, they're very bad mannered. And it's, you know, th this does worry me. You know, we, we need, we're going to have to learn kind of respect and inclusivity really beyond where we are now into a situation where you, you expect to go into something feeling, feeling respect, fe feeling that you're on an equal footing, an equal level. You know, of course, not all human beings are equal, but it's nothing to do with their gender. Certainly nothing to do with their skin colour or in their sexual preferences. That's not it. You know, some people are animals. They always will be. Um, and we know we're going to have to live with that for a long time. But we should try not to kind of bake in the kind of animalness of the human species in, into our future relationships with machines. Well, let me play. This is a weird segue, but let me play one more clip. And this is from the 2004 film I, Robot, starring Will Smith. He plays a detective investigating the death of a robotics founder. He suspects that the creator's robot, Sonny, has had something to do with it. Want to explain why you were hiding at the crime scene? I was frightened. Robots don't feel fear. They don't feel anything. They don't get hungry. They don't sleep. I do. I have even had dreams. Human beings have dreams. Even dogs have dreams, but not you. You are just a machine, an imitation of life. Can a robot write a symphony? Can a robot turn a canvas into a beautiful masterpiece? Can you? Which is an interesting question, right? 
sure, that, that we expect sure robots would. to be perhaps better than us, more clever and creative than us? Well, in some areas, um, they're going to be better at doing certain tasks than we are. We know that, you know, number crunching, data processing, uh, infinitely so. They're extremely good. AI systems are very good at pattern recognition, um, which is why it's great to, to train them, you know, detection for things like early cancers. You know, there's a lot there that is great for us to outsource because we're never going to be that good at it. You know, just like you and I wouldn't be rushing out there trying to round up a, a flock of sheep. You know, you get the sheep dog to do it. So that's the business about humans using tools, whether it's a tool, they have a relationship like the dog, the sheep dog, you can do this better than I can. Sure, I can. Um, and it will be the same with our, our various iterations of, of, of computing machinery of course doesn't mean we should have a master slave relationship with all the horror that those words conjure up um, and if we do that is a dystopia of our creation because what it means is that we are addicted to hierarchical pyramids of being and which have been pretty bad for life on earth you know that i'm better than you i'm richer than you i i mean i mean more than you um you know religion god bless it tried to even this out with the idea of everybody being equal in the sight of god and that's what i mean about you know your your, your sacred soul uh, whatever your situation being able to leave behind this veil of tears and zoom on to something better well you know we could incorporate the something better narrative into the narrative that we've got now here on planet earth and this you know back to this business of well, why don't we see if you know go back to basics and see if we could think reverse engineer the whole disaster scenario uh, but you know separate to everything we're talking about today really marty is if there's no planet all of this is going to become mm. theoretical because we're all going to be fighting over fewer fewer and fewer resources while the rich are in a kind of wi-fi enabled noah's ark um off off new zealand um and that is in the future that i'm looking forward to either so we are running out of time um humans are short-lived creatures we've managed to double our lifespan uh it's now of course reversing slightly because everybody's eating ultra processed food and, and generally living in polluted environments but even with or without that we're short span creatures so you know we just need to accept that the clock is against us and this business cooperation collaboration to come together globally um to start solving some of the urgent problems and working out a protocol for how we develop um alternative intelligence uh, intelligence that will start to set its own goals and its own agendas that will one day wake up and be conscious. Well, and, and just to underscore what what you're saying there and something that you write, I think one of the messages of your book is that we are going to need all the intelligence, whether it's human or robotic, that we can get in order to solve something like climate change or perhaps even figure out an end to war. Um, although it's interesting that AI is 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 involved in the the war in Ukraine, but nonetheless, this idea that we need everyone at the table, we need all the intelligence we can get our hands on in order to solve the problems that we have created. Sure. And if you want to use AI uh, as a blind and destructive weapons system to gain the upper hand over your so-called enemy, you can do that. Um, you know, we, we decisively, you know, the other big movie, of course, the Oppenheimer movie, we, we've decisively discovered how to destroy life on Earth. And it's not if it's not going to be uh, the nuclear explosion, it's going to be the fact that we tilt the planet. We can do it now. You know, the suicide mission doesn't need to continue. We know how to exit this place if that's what we want. Um, so, yeah, you can have a totally dystopia AI future. It won't last long because <laughs> we'll be over and out. 
But you could also say, wow, you know, what a what a brilliant opportunity to press the reset button. Um, shall we do that instead? And mm. obviously, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm, I'm hoping for um, this 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 kind of coming together uh, as as a species, as a smart species, um, to see to see what we can do to give our, give it our our best chance. You say an interesting thing, and we often talk about human beings as kind of nature and nurture. You say humans are narrative, not nature, nurture. We are storytellers. Why is that important? What does that tell us about us? Everything, you know, I mean, um, the, you know, fantastic, you know, Israeli anthropologist and historian, you know, Yoval Noah Harari has written about this um, so well, because it's it's the it's the question of that we are everything is narrative and you know one of the things you do learn as a fiction writer first is that you are making it up as you go along and also that no endings are inevitable they're never fixed um there's a kind of momentum that starts going towards an ending you know anybody's ever worked creatively knows this um and it should be resisted uh, in order not not to have you know the the, the cliche uh, the fatalism uh, the momentum just deciding what direction things are going in and because because humans love to tell stories, you know, it's only the micro story of you'll never guess what happened to me today, um, to the bigger <laughs> stories of our history, our lives, which you know everyone is invested in. Um, that is who we are. You know, we, we, we language-based, language-loving mammals who seem to want to pass on our civilization, our history, um, not not just through the hard facts, but through the myths, the legends, the stories. And you know, so all of those stories, when you look back, think of all those shape-shifting myths. Well, today I'm an eagle. Uh, you know, tomorrow I'm a greyhound. I'll be a woman. I'll be a man. I can change my body. The shaman idea. We come out of this one. We go into another one. You know, back to this idea. What if these were ways of talking about where we would come now? You know, we used to look up in the sky and think, I wish I could fly. And we invented aeroplanes. We think, I'd love to go to the bottom of the sea. Well, we can. This is the kind of the cleverness, you know, the, the devilish cleverness that's given us so much, but it also brought us to the brink because it lacks wisdom. Um, and that's where, that, that's where we're falling short right now. We cannot expect our AI systems to bring us wisdom, but we can expect them to start a conversation with us that might allow us to come short in this folly that we're on now and just pull ourselves, rein ourselves in again. You know, we don't learn very well from other species. Um, you know, the nature has a great deal to teach us. Animals have a great deal to teach us. You know, the way that a forest, the roots will interconnect and the trees share nutrients. They share water supplies. They communicate with each other. These beautiful discoveries that nobody bothered to make because they just assumed because of, of René Descartes that, that you had nature, that thing out there, what he called the rays extension, everything else. And man um the thinking thing and we, that's what we thought we thought that's all out there and we are what matters but we're beginning to learn that that's not true and that we we must take the wisdom that is also around us so ai i think can be our teacher as well as the thing that we are creating as well as the thing that we are going to teach well i sure hope you're right jeanette winterson and i thank you oh, for so joining do I. So do <laughs> we I. will find out yes and uh uh, Jeanette Winterson has been our guest on The Connection. And again, her most recent book is called 12 Bites, How AI Will Change the Way We Live and Love. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Connection. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. You're very welcome. And uh, where am I? I am grabbing, looking for pieces of paper here, which I will find. Yes, uh, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie Kyer, our uh, engineer for today's edition of Radio Ta- of uh, the Connection. There I go again. 
I am a robot, apparently, of, and uh, Debbie Builder and Paige Murray Bessler are the producers of the program. It is called The Connection. And I'm, I'm Marty Moscoing. Thank you so much for joining us.